Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. You're listening to the Engaging Missions Radio Show, Episode 30 with George Patterson. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Radio Show. If you care about missions, this is the place for you. Whether you're actively involved in ministry and missions, are considering missions, or serve God in the marketplace with a heart for God's kingdom, you're in the right place. Join us each week for inspiration, encouragement, resources, and so much more as we delight in the things that God is doing all around the world. All right, let's get started. I am really stoked to have Dr. George Patterson on the line today. Dr. Patterson is the originator of the church planting multiplication movement. If you've been listening for the, to the show for a while, you may recognize that former guests, both Sean Steckbeck and Jay Judson, referenced some of the principles that he teaches. In fact, it was Jay who connected me with Dr. Patterson. Now, I'm really excited about this interview because, as I think I've mentioned before, anytime I start to see some interviews about the same kind of topic clumping together, I start to suspect that God is up to something. And I'm definitely seeing an increase in the number of people that I'm connected with who are involved in church church planting multiplication. And I'm really excited to find out what God is up to. Okay, George, I've given just a little introduction. Now, could you take a minute and tell us about yourself and your ministry? We'd like to get to know you personally. (laughs) Well, uh, I started out as a very traditional missionary. (laughs) I, was, I just graduated from seminary and went to Honduras to teach in a, in a Bible institute. And uh, uh, that started a series of events that uh, really changed my, my ministry, working there with very poor people in, in northern Honduras. And uh, is it okay for me just to mention some of these events? Oh, I, I really wish you would. That'd be great. Uh, the first thing that happened was uh, um, Jose. <laughs> he was a pastor of a little church I was attending there. And I went to him one day and I, I said, Jose, we've gone several months now and um, you've never served the Lord's Supper in the church. And I wonder why. And he said, well, oh, the, the Lord's Supper, that's, uh, let's see, that." Uh, he started telling me what it was, and First Corinthians 11, and all mm-hmm. this and that, all the theology. And I said, no, Jose, that's not what I mean. Uh, I understand you, 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 you've learned well. I, what I'm asking you is why aren't you serving it in the church? And there was a long pause, and he's scratching his head, and he said, oh, oh, you mean... It's not enough just to teach the right doctrine about it. (laughs) 
anyway, now that really opened my eyes. And um, uh, the educational level there was very low, but I realized then that our uh, classroom approach to training pastors, uh, I needed to look into it. So I started studying in the scriptures how Jesus trained new leaders, how Paul trained new leaders. And I found that uh, uh, I found an entirely different educational philosophy, uh, which we immediately put into action. And that included the Second Timothy two two approach of mentoring, where you mentor others who, who who train others who train others, and so forth, to, so you can uh, help churches to multiply that way. As as we get into our interview, uh, one thing I'd like to connect with, uh, and I guess for those who are listening, this may not be our traditional interview flow. As as Dr. Patterson and I were talking before the interview, I just get this sense that the Holy Spirit may lead us in some different directions. So we're going to kind of feel our way through this. But I do want to ask um, about a, a scripture or a motivational quote that's really been meaningful in your life. Could you share that with us and then share how it's really shaped your behavior? Well, uh, the two, one, I just alluded to, 2 Timothy 2.2, that which you've heard of me among many witnesses, commit to faithful men who are able to teach others also. And also uh, the the Great Commission. However, I see the Great Commission quite differently than than many people do, including many learned theologians. Uh, When Christ mentioned uh, uh, to make disciples by teaching them to obey all the things that he commanded, well, uh, uh, this is another one of those events <laughs> that really set the pace for my ministry. I was walking through the jungle with Anibal, and Anibal was complaining that he, that the uh, older pastors, especially city pastors, were telling him that his baptisms were invalid and he could not serve the Lord's Supper because he had not been ordained by the rules of, of our association of churches. And I told him, no, I don't let that bother you. You're obeying Jesus. Um, he said, well, I have to know what Jesus commanded to, to, to be confident there. But anyway, um, we, we decided he would tell these pastors that he, he, was, he and his church were going to obey Jesus' commands. And um, did they prefer that they obeyed uh, them instead of Jesus, because he could not obey both. But anyway, that, that had such a tremendous effect on Anibal. He said, this really lifts a ton of weight from my shoulders. So he shared it with other pastors, and they all uh, said the same thing, and it made it so much easier to start planting churches. And we defined the basic seven commands of Christ, which are the uh, seven things we find in the very first church in Acts chapter 2, uh, those 3,000 new believers were obeying these uh, commands of Jesus from the very beginning. And these commands, they uh, they kind of uh, sum up everything that Jesus commanded. And that's something now that's on uh, many missionary fields around the world that just simplified the process of healthy church planting. Okay. And before we go any further, would you mind laying out for us what those seven commands are? Uh, yeah, uh, if you remember the last few verses of Acts chapter uh, uh, 2, there, uh, repent. <clears throat> of course, you can't do that without faith and receiving the Holy Spirit being born again. Then be baptized. And uh, Lord's Supper, love, 
giving, prayer, and uh, making disciples in general. That's, uh, that would include pastoring, sending missionaries. <clears throat> okay. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. And at, at this point, you know, like we talked about uh, before we before we started the interview, I would like to just kind of open the floor. So you've talked a little bit, of, I think, about some of the events in your life that have started to shape your interaction with the New Testament and the way that you've um, innovated the presentation of the gospel and ministry in, on the mission field. Can you lay out for us the rest of those experiences, uh, you know, what God has done in your life and how he, how he brought you to those places? Well, uh, another one that had a profound effect on my own thinking. Uh, uh, I was um, <clears throat> preaching my first sermon out in a remote village, and I really wanted to make a great impression. I just graduated from seminary, so I really prepared the sermon. I was so proud of what I had done. I had done my word studies and all of that in a little village called Macora. And I got out there, and they would set up a little rickety table for a pulpit and we're just a tiny little group in a little mud hut and I pulled out my notes and was going to preach and then it just dawned on me that what I had prepared was uh, grotesquely irrelevant hmm. to, <laughs> to my audience <laughs> so <laughs> I threw away my notes and I sat down asked them to pull the chairs around in a circle I said, let's just talk about what you're going to do for Christ in the next uh, two or three weeks. Well, anyway, the effect of that was was so positive. Uh, they went out, we, we planned right then, during our, the worship time, we planned for them, uh, different ones, to go visit different relatives. And daughter churches were born out of that. And uh, they said they learned more Bible from uh, that uh, two-way conversation that they would have from a message because mm. every time I, uh, that we discussed something, I, of course, I always referred to some scripture that they could use or that would justify what they were planning. If you don't mind, is there one more of those experiences that you can share with us before we move on in the interview? Oh, uh, well, yeah. Another one was uh, uh, I was talking with the same pastor I mentioned a while ago, Jose, mm -hmm. at his house one day, and this was uh, several months <clears throat> along after I'd been there, or more, maybe a year or so. Well, <clears throat> a believer who came walking down the street, obviously very drunk, and uh, Jose said, oh, thank God I never baptized Gilberto. Mm. Well, something about that bothered me. And I got home and I got to thinking, maybe if Jose had baptized Gilberto, that he would not have been walking down the street drunk. Yeah. So I started reading for the first time, really reading what the New Testament said about baptism. And, you know, it kind of made me a little angry with my seminary professors because they had really missed it. And what I found out that uh, we were using baptism as kind of the graduation ceremony following a, a time of indoctrination, you know, newcomers class and probation and all that and delaying it and all of that. And we found in the scripture just the absolute opposite that the uh, 
Uh, there was only one thing the apostles did before baptizing someone that indicated they want to follow Christ, and that was go to the whole family. Anyway, uh, I realized then we were using baptism not to confirm uh, and assure the new believers, confirm their faith, and really seal their, 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 their conversion in their mind, you know, and their salvation. Uh, but I, we're using baptism rather as kind of like a stumbling block to uh, deny the flow of God's grace. They, they saw it as we doubted their salvation. They had to prove it to us, and, and uh, that just brought in a lot of legalism. So we changed our policy. I got all our workers together, and I said, let's baptize as soon as it's practical. And, and, you know, that was just like night and day. Before that time, we were losing almost all of those who indicated they want to follow Christ because uh, we were putting off the baptism for months, sometimes years, and they, uh, they would fall away in the meantime. But once we uh, changed the policy uh, and started baptizing uh, rather soon, they, we didn't lose a one that I know of. Wow. Now... Uh, uh, it's true. Some of them, they, they, they got they <laughs> a holiday would come and they'd what what a good patriotic Honduran does on a holiday they get drunk. Okay, well now we, the ones that we had baptized, we restored all of them immediately, and they wanted prayer and they they were ashamed and 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 they were in the body and there was no thought of them leaving. But the ones we had not baptized. 100% of them left the church for good and never came back. So we found that God really used baptism to affirm uh, their faith and, and their unity with, with the body of Christ and made it so much easier uh, to discipline them when they did fall into a problem. Wow, that is, that is powerful. Um, I would like to go ahead and move on. We've heard a, a, about, I think, three or four different points of revelation in your, in your life, and they've all been powerful. This one about baptism is speaking to me personally uh, uh, because I think about the way that we approach baptism as well. So I'm, I'm listening to, to the Holy Spirit, but now I'd like to move on and hear about a challenge. At maybe a time in your journey when you encountered some kind of challenge or failure, um, and then what what you saw God do. Can you take us to that moment and tell us the story of what happened? Well, let's see. Challenge. I had so many. Uh-huh. Oh, my. Oh, wow. Uh, well, our biggest challenge that caused the most pain and problems and destroyed more of our churches, anything else, was proselyting from, by other missionaries. And uh, uh, so many times, the, the, the missionaries that never did any evangelism at all, they would see our churches multiplying, and they just assumed that we had to be doing something wrong, because their churches were multiplying, and so they would come and look for something wrong. And guess what? They always found something. It's very easy to do. You know, you follow any missionary around or, or examine any church, you'll find something wrong. It might, might even take you five minutes. <laughs> yeah, and, but anyway, and so they they would criticize and divide our church and take you know uh, proselyting and and uh, 
uh, the first time I think I ever handled it correct, well, we do two, did two things that, that uh, helped out. One is that instead of going and raising a ruckus and dividing a church, I, I went to the head of, of a, a particular denomination, and I explained to them exactly what was happening and asked them, is this your policy? Well, I knew they'd say no, and they did. And they said, let us take care of it. And they did, wow. in a very gracious and godly way. They stopped it, at least on the part of uh, proselyters in their denomination. And so I, I, I learned from that. And another thing we did was we uh, created what we called wolf committees, because <laughs> these people were behaving like wolves. And at one time, I counted six full-time missionaries following me around, and I was the only missionary working with our group of churches, and they were all proselyting that way. And anyway, so we formed a wolf committee, and what we do, we, they, well, I didn't usually do it myself. Uh, I let the Hondurans do it, but they would go to the home of the wolf and find him in his house and present him with um, an agreement written on paper that uh, everyone who signed it promises before God not to deal with anyone from another church, another pastor's congregation without that pastor's permission. And um, if they signed it, then we had a strong a lever to use if they yeah. broke their promise. And actually, none of them did uh, sign it and break the promise. And uh, one refused to sign it, but his uh, his own church found out that he had refused to sign it, and they all told him, we will leave you if you don't sign it. So he, he came around again and asked pardon and, and signed it, and then he quit proselyting. But anyway, <laughs> now that was my greatest challenge. <laughs> and uh, and we, we, uh, I didn't always handle it all that graciously. There were times when I lost my temper and <laughs> so forth, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think that could uh, be for so many of us in so many areas of our lives. Uh, with that, I would like to go to, to move to the present day. So I, I know that many people now look to you as the person who helped them start thinking about things differently than in ways that have trans transformed their ministry. What I'd like to hear about is something that's going on in your ministry right now, maybe something that's really exciting, or maybe something that you see coming in the future. Well, the uh, thing that I'm really involved deeply with now, and I'm elderly now, and I don't do a, a lot of traveling overseas or anything more, and I'm focusing on the American church. And I and the, my colleagues, other people that, that, that mentor the way I do, we, we have developed what, what we call a second track. A second track is a, a, it's a simpler churches, and so we talk to the pastors and leaders, of older churches and older denominations, and we exhort them to start a second track. That, all that means is that the older churches and their schools, they don't have to change. No one is forced to change. But they do release those dissatisfied um, people, believers, that really want to do a lot more. Uh, they're very eager, but they find all of the... Uh, really important positions of ministry in their church already filled, so they sit there frustrated and passive, you know. And so, all right, almost every church has some of them. Mm -hmm. 
And so the idea is to free them, turn them loose. And on the second track, you require absolutely nothing except what is required by Jesus and his apostles. Uh, nothing more. But the, the church in the second track retain the mother church's doctrine and also the denominational identity, if they are of a denomination. And, uh, and so it's no threat to the mother church. And so far, a few churches have, have started doing that. And, uh, and, and, uh, and overseas, some of the older churches have started doing that. And it's a blessing on both sides. You have the simpler churches, we call them rabbit churches. And then the older churches, we call them the elephant churches, and, and uh, we teach them to get along with each other. That, that's good. Now, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the answer for this question, because I suspect it's going to be uh, something that speaks to me as a person who feels called to the marketplace. I don't necessarily feel called to vocational ministry, and I think that speaks to a good portion of our audience already. Um, I care about missions, and these people in our audience care about missions, but they don't necessarily feel called there. What would you tell somebody who feels called to the marketplace and is starting to wonder if what they're doing in business really matters in the kingdom? Well, from the perspective of uh, a missionary, uh, for many years I've been teaching that the greatest bottleneck to evangelical missions today is our failure, the mission agency's failure, to put true tentmaker missionaries uh, in those fields where the authorities do not allow uh, regular missionaries. Now, when I say tent maker, you know it means mm -hmm. someone who's earning their own living in a business or teaching or in some some vocation that the government permits. Now, uh, what most of the mission agencies have been doing is that they'll have a, a, a missionary raise full-time support and then go and pretend they're a tent maker. And uh, this creates uh, uh, many psychological problems. Uh, they're living a phony lifestyle. It also creates suspicion on the part of the nationals. Uh, they see them uh, with a Mickey Mouse business that isn't earning enough to, to sustain their lifestyle. So they know that they're either CIA or worse, hmm. a missionary. And, <laughs> and it, uh, it just isn't working well. And so we really are coaching people to go to the field, start businesses, uh, or, or do something. There are all kinds of things they can do uh, and be true tent makers. And, uh, and nearly all of the uh, church planning movements I know are deeply involved in tent maker or bivocational uh, workers. Uh, very few of them have any significant number of full-time workers. And I'm speaking now of the, of the national believers. Almost all of them are tent makers, uh, the pastors and so forth. And someone has to set the example for them. Okay. Now, I'm, I'm also sure that there are some people listening who are already supporting missionaries financially and in prayer, but they want to do more. If they really wanted to level up their game, what's one thing they could do to further encourage or support a missionary? One thing that's way out ahead of anything else to get anyone to really be enthusiastic about serving Christ and in some way supporting the missionary work or going themselves to be a missionary, even as just a part-time missionary, is when, when I found that when we've gone to the field for, for several days, mm -hmm. take 
someone with you. You know, Paul did not travel alone, nor did Jesus, for that matter. And, you know, the two by two and all of that. But anyway, the uh, take one or two with you. And I found in every case, uh, this was true way back when I worked in Honduras. And I'd take Hondurans with me on a trip out to a village, sometimes just for a day. They would come back pumped, really excited. And many of them wanted to get in and do that work. And nearly all of them would be volunteers. And I've found now uh, 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 very few that I have taken overseas with me. Uh, 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 all but one or two have really gotten behind the mission effort, and and about half of them have, have decided. Uh, uh, well, they go overseas and mentor people to start movements. Okay. That, that's good. And, you know, it's, it's so interesting. I hear such a variety of answers to that question. In particular, it seems like every, every few months there's this kind of swirling question that comes around, in, at least in the North American culture, of is it more valuable to take a short-term missions trip or to not do that? And what I think I'm hearing from you is that occasionally... Um, it's the right thing to do to take people, maybe even all the time, to take somebody with you on one of those short-term things and allow God to move in their lives. Is is that accurate? Oh, yes. Uh, no, I am not a proponent of short-term missions as someone goes and they just go to preach. Okay. And often they do more harm than good because they introduce a, a mentality that, uh, that can actually be counterproductive. You know, they almost always go and introduce a, a heavy... Uh, expensive, high-tech, institutional uh, men, uh, view of the church, and they and they're uh, real heavy on uh, on entertaining, and uh, these are concepts that have no place in a church planning movement. They can kill it, and also they take a highly individual Western view of, <clears throat> of evangelism. You know, we use the word personal, Jesus, our personal Savior. And the word is not even in Scripture. And uh, it can have a positive meaning if we know, you know, I'm saved by my faith, not that of my parents. All right, but unfortunately, Satan has given a, a diabolical twist to mean private. And that is death to a church planning movement. And often the short-termers will go over and go around preaching and imparting uh, these viewpoints and often too handing out money when it just builds dependency. So uh, I would say uh, short term, yes, but not with a mentality that you're going to go there and be the big teacher uh, and be the savior of the people. You go to learn and you keep your mouth shut you know, and learn and learn what you can. And then if you go back I have someone that really knows how to start a church planning movement, have them uh, uh, help you know exactly what to do. Okay, that's good. And thank you for sharing that with us and, and taking the time to do that. I, I do appreciate that. With that, I would like to go ahead and transition to the speed round. This is where I get to ask you a series of questions and you come back at us with your amazing answers. Does that sound like a plan? <laughs> I hope I don't disappoint you. <laughs> you, you I, I'm sure that you won't. What's one thing you wish you would have known before you started out? I wish that I had known how important it is to view Christianity as a very practical, action-oriented way of life uh, rather than the rather philosophical and abstract view uh, that I learned 
in Bible college and seminary and in all the churches I attended in the States. Does that make sense to you? Oh, it does. Yeah. What's the best advice you've ever received? The best advice? Um, I, uh, I found that I couldn't uh, give enough to save the lives of people who were desperately sick and needed to get to a hospital. There was no hospital close, and you had to either fly them in, so I, I would help. But I got to a point where I couldn't help them all, and I felt guilty, really guilty, and, uh, and depressed. And, uh, and I told my, my home church pastor that I couldn't handle it. I just can't handle it. I see these people seven, and I do what I can, but it's not. I just I'm tired of. It. And he's and he rebuked me instead of giving me the soft touches and oh you poor thing you know. <laughs> no, he he rebuked me. Said stop trying to be the savior of Honduras. Wow. <laughs> it, fit, it worked. It snapped me out of my. My messianic complex. <laughs> can, you sh- can you share one of your personal habits that you strongly believe contributes to the success you've seen? Well, one thing, when, I, I, uh, when a worker tells me of a particular chronic problem they have, or a missionary tells me of a particular chronic uh, problem, um, I, I try not to give it just a snap answer. And uh, I, I, I will really think about it. And, and uh, I, I think uh, uh, what scriptures apply. What would Christ do if he were here? What cases are there historically? And I might consult with older uh, missionaries. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, but I don't let go until I've come up with the answer. I'm as stubborn as a mule. I will not let go. I will get the answer. And it's kind of just <laughs> built into my, into my psyche. Uh, I love to help people. That's my main spiritual gift. That's what motivates me. And so when I uh, learn a, you know, a problem on some mission field, I'd love to help the, the worker solve it. Okay. Do you have an Internet resource that you use and could share with our listeners? Uh, well, there's several. There's um, peopleofyes.com. Okay. Peopleofyes.com. Also, there is justobeyjesus.com. Oh, is it .com or .org? Let me look real quick. <laughs> Uh, is is that the one that uh, you did in conjunction with uh, with Jay Judson? Jay Judson, yes, yes. Okay, yeah, I can make sure that we have that linked up in the show notes because he mentioned yes. that one as well. And it has a strong charismatic emphasis, very strong. Okay, and uh, and another one for resources, which I think is the best out there for just plain for resources, especially for uh, starting house churches and keeping them multiplying, and that is paul-timothy.net. Okay, yeah. I hadn't heard about that one yet, but I'll be sure to check that one out. Uh, Do you have a book that you would recommend for our listeners? 
Uh, book. Well, uh, can it be one I wrote? It absolutely can. <laughs> All right. Uh, the title is Come Quickly Dawn, and it is a novel, but it is a training novel. It's very fast-paced, It's um, and it by the time a person has read it, they will know how to start either a, a, a church planning movement or a second track in the United States. They will know how, and, but they will do it by entering into the experiences of other people who make all the traditional mistakes, and then they'll see how they solve their problems and how they use the Scripture and so forth. And it's done in a setting where there's lots of uh, excitement and dangers and all the stuff that may make a novel worth reading. That's great. Yeah, and that's uh, William Carey Library. Come quickly, dawn. Okay. And for those who are listening, we'll, we will have this linked up in the show notes, which will be available at engagingmissions.com slash George Patterson. So if you're driving to work or you're working out right now and you just can't write all that down, don't worry. You can just stop by and pick up all that information right there. We want to make sure we're connecting you with the resources that, uh, that George has shared with us today. Now, George, we do want to go a little bit deeper for our last couple of questions. This is our chance to really learn from your experience, your perspective, your ministry advice. You've already dropped so much information on us and so much perspective, but I'd like to just hit these last couple of questions if that's okay with you. Yes. What would you tell somebody who's living in, in the U.S. or in North America, and they're looking around and realizing that all around them, their neighbors and their coworkers are now from places that we used to consider missionary territory, the places where missionaries go, and now they're realizing these people are their neighbors and their coworkers? Well, first of all, I would encourage them to do uh, uh, two things that Christ mentioned uh, uh, one is to uh, don't try to push camels through the eye of the needle. And that's referring to uh, rich people. Um, they, they, they resist coming to Christ as a general rule. Now, you can win a few, as Christ said you would, but you cannot start a movement with them. I don't think it's ever happened in all history. And so often, uh, even among the immigrants that come in, uh, an educated evangelical believer uh, will tend to identify with the more educated among the immigrants. But that's, uh, that's a mistake if you want to start a, a, a genuine movement. You go to the poorer people, and as Christ said, he came to preach the gospel to the poor. And the other uh, caution I would give is to remember this, that um, well, Jesus said, look on the fields that are ripe ready for harvest, John chapter 4. And uh, uh, among the, the people around us, some are receptive and some are not. And so we're under orders uh, from Christ to find the ones that are receptive and to shake the dust. That means leave uh, those communities where the people are, are not receptive. And, and I've found that uh, some, uh, several missionaries that I've encouraged to shake the dust. None of them had to leave their place of residence. All they had to do was find people on a lower level on the uh, economic scale in order to break loose and see a movement. So now here in the States, 
among the uh, immigrants that are coming in, so many, by the thousands, uh, one thing is that I found out um, that Muslims are easier to win to Christ than the average American middle class uh, person, uh, a white middle class, that Muslims are easier to win. And uh, we should, we often have some kind of a mystique, we think, or fear them or something. Mm-hmm. But no, they, um, many of them, uh, in, in, even though they don't want to admit it, they're very unhappy with Islam, especially the women, and a lot of the men too. But uh, they, they love to talk about Esau, that's Jesus in the uh, Arabic, and mm-hmm. they will talk about him. They will never refuse to talk about him. And, and many have come to Christ just talking about Jesus and telling the truth about him from the New Testament. Mm-hmm. That's, that's very powerful. I'd heard um, from, I believe it was from Jay, it might have been from another uh, guest who I previously had, that uh, typically the Muslims were relatively you know, relative to other world religions were easier to uh, connect with in terms of the gospel. Have you found any particular strategy for connecting with them that's been very effective in terms of bringing the uh, stories of Christ? Uh, no, no, I haven't because I've never worked myself with, okay. with Muslims. However, I have coached several who have and helped them along some lines. But I, this I can say is that um, the... Uh, uh, less educated Muslims especially, uh, you will not win them to Christ or the usual uh, oh, what you call rationalistic view of evangelism like the Roman road. Mm-hmm. And these are quite doctrinal. No, no. They have to sense the presence and power of Jesus, the living Christ. And they sense that through uh, your joy, through your compassion for them meeting their needs, and uh, get them in a small group meeting where, where believers are giving uh, testimony, especially recently converted Muslims. That's powerful. Let them sense Jesus' presence. Then they will come to Christ. They do not come, uh, however, through uh, a rational approach, theological approach to the gospel. Okay, that, thank you for sharing that and for allowing me to throw in a couple of questions that we hadn't talked about before. I really do appreciate that. Um, we are almost done. I've really only got one last uh, question for you. What I'd really like for you to do is just share with us, I'd, I'd like to kind of open the floor for just a couple minutes for you to share with us any advice um, that, that you have for us as far as beginning to share the gospel, maybe being involved in a second track or some kind of church planting multiplication, anything that you would share with us as believers uh, as kind of that parting piece of advice, and then the best way for us to get in touch with you, and then we'll say goodbye. Well, <laughs> let me start by saying uh, how to get in touch with me. Okay. Uh, um my email is just uh, mentor and multiply at gmail.com. That's mentor and, the word and spelled out, mentor and multiply at gmail. So uh, that's, that's how to get in touch with me. Now, uh, my, my concern, speaking to the average uh, Christian in America who really loves Christ, but if you're attending a, 
a, a church that uh, is not really all that active, not all that evangelistic, and you want it to be more so. Well, uh, I would really encourage you to um, step back and just realize that the evangelical church, as it has evolved in America from a historical viewpoint, is way out in left field, way out of the normal track. And I hope that you can help bring it back to a, a, a more biblical uh, position. It is, uh, it is so high-tech now and so entertaining and so building-oriented that it's absolutely impossible to start a New Testament-type church planning movement because it costs too much. And only highly trained leaders can, uh, can uh, really uh, do anything of importance in respect to leading. And so it's, uh, we've handcuffed ourselves. And so I would encourage you to really look into the second track and there's some really great videos about how to how to get a second track started. Simpler churches on the uh, the website I mentioned, uh, peopleofyes.com. There's some great videos that you scroll down to where it mentions the videos, and and it's so easy, so inexpensive to start a second track, and it doesn't hurt anyone, doesn't force anyone to change. Okay. Uh, George, again, thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate your time and your generosity. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Well, that's the end of the time that we have with George Patterson. I'd like to say a huge thank you to him for being available to this. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I hope that you enjoyed it too. One thing that I'd like to pull out of this is just the amazing amount of grace that I see in his life and the way that he's approaching what God has shown him. Uh, I think that it's wonderful that he's making so many resources available, that he's been an inspiration to so many people, and that he's providing ways for established churches to step into the kinds of ministry that he's talking about without without stepping away from the doctrine that they have, without completely disassociating themselves from the way they've been moving in the past. If you'd like to get any of the information, uh, any of the resources that he mentioned, any of that, all of that will be available and linked up in the show notes, which will be engagingmissions.com slash George Patterson or slash 30, as in the number 30. Uh, as you may have noticed, we did vary slightly from the typical format. Uh, I think that's becoming a little bit more common. But if you did or didn't like that, I'd love to hear from you and find out what I can do to make this better serve you, what I can do to help connect with our guests and help connect with the needs and the, the desires that you have. If you have any feedback for me, you can always leave that, of course, at, in the show notes at engagingmissions.com slash George Patterson, or just shoot me an email. You can send that to feedback at engagingmissions.com. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, uh, but I don't mention it all that regularly. If you're interested in learning a little bit more about how some of the some of the missionaries that we've interviewed order their lives in order to have the most impact and to focus their energies. You can get a free resource guide at engagingmissions.com slash free. It's just a one pager. You can download it and learn a little bit. And my hope is that this will help you order your life as well. If you're looking for some of those answers, remember engagingmissions.com slash free. And then finally, 
As always, I'm so happy that you're here. Whether this is your first time you're connected with George Patterson and you stopped by to hear what he shared, or whether you've been a subscriber for some time, I'm really glad that you're here. It really means a lot to me to know that you've taken time out of your day, perhaps out of your commute or out of your workout or while you're at home doing dishes, whatever it is. It it means a lot to me to know that you've taken that time to connect with me and with the guest and to hear from God in, in the stories that they're sharing. If you liked what you heard and you want to subscribe and you haven't already, uh, I have a link set up for you at engagingmissions.com slash iTunes. Uh, You can also use that link to uh, leave a rating and a review for the show. That's one of the ways that you can help spread the word. Of course, shooting an email to a friend and saying, hey, check this out, or putting a link up on social media is also very valuable. But if you're also interested in letting people know who are in iTunes, hey, I like this show and here's why, you can stop by engagingmissions.com slash iTunes. I've got a, a quick um, res- a resource set up there for you, uh, about a four-minute video that shows you what you'll need to know in order to do that. It's really not that hard, but sometimes it can seem a little quirky if you've never done it again. Again, I'm just so glad that you're here. Thanks for stopping by. This has been the Engaging Missions Radio Show. Thanks so much for listening. May God richly bless you. We'll see you next week.